The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The Gospel of the Lord. Pray with me, please. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, as we always pray, we pray that we might have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say today. And we might have hearts to respond that we might grow more into your likeness, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are in the midst of a series. I started last week. It's a series that we're considering the fruit of the Spirit, the very character of God that's found in Galatians in chapter 5, the character of God defined by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, faithfulness and self-control. These very characteristics that God wants to mold and shape in us. We call it the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants to do. He wants us to grow more into his likeness as we grow more into his character. And we started this series last week and we named the series The Garden Principle. It's a principle that we heard today read out of Isaiah as David read. You heard it. That God can take a wasteland, the things that we see in life, the things that we think that nothing good can come from it, these barren wastelands, these deserts, that God can actually take them and he can turn them into a garden, a garden of the Lord. And we considered last week that we have a sight problem. We have a perception problem. We, We see things differently than the way God sees things. And we just go back to Genesis in chapter 3. We go back to the fall. When, when, when God had spoken a word to Adam and Eve and they chose to disobey the word. And we read in Genesis in chapter 3 verse 7 that the eyes of Adam and Eve were open. Not that they weren't already open. But what were they open to? They were open to the ways of the world. They were open to sin. They have never seen that before. And now, from that point on, we see through the filter of sin in this world. We have a perception problem. We see things differently than the way that God sees things. And there's a promise, there's a principle that we get out of this reading that that God can take what we see as a wasteland, what we experience in life, that nothing good can come from this experience, from this circumstance. And God says, you know what? You see a ruin? You see a wasteland? 
but I, I see a garden. And it's in that place that he can cultivate his character, the fruit of the Spirit. We call it the garden principle. That he actually takes us and he plants us in a garden. And it's while we're in the garden, he speaks a word to us. And the way that we respond to that word shapes our character and it shapes our destiny. And we considered that last week as we looked at Adam and Eve. The word was spoken. And they responded in a negative way. They had every opportunity to love God. And they chose to go their own way. And it shaped their character, shapes our character, shapes their destiny, shapes our destiny. And we took away from that. What's the word that the Lord's always speaking to us? Romans 8, 28, that God can use all things. He can use all wastelands that we think. He can use them for good for those who love him, who submit to him, who surrender to him. The garden principle. And we considered the very first characteristic last week, that of love. And we said that anything of value found in the kingdom of God, there's going to be a counterfeit. And the counterfeit comes from the very adversary of God, Satan himself, the very real Satan. He's going to create something that we think is going to be the real thing, something even with the fruit of the Spirit that we think that we are experiencing and we're growing this fruit that is God's character and there's going to be a counterfeit. And we can't see it. There's a counterfeit to the real thing. And last week we considered love, the very love of God, the character of God, the, 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 the unending love of God, the, the unconditional love of God as opposed to the love that we know in this world that's very conditional. He wants to grow love in the garden of rejection. And we consider that, that we've all been rejected. And it's in that place we think, no, this is terrible. Nothing good can come from this. He grows his character of love. Well, today we're going to move on to joy. The next characteristic that he wants to grow within us. To make us more like Jesus. Joy. Do, do you know that that when people are asked what you want more in life than anything else? What do you want more than money? What do you want more than security? What do you want more than fame? What do you want more than health? Do you know what the number one answer is? More times than not, what I want more in life than anything else is happiness. I just want to be happy. I mean, we live in a country, right? where we have the inalienable rights to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. It's right there in the Declaration of Independence. Well, this is what we want. We want happiness more than anything else. And what is happiness? Happiness is a feeling. As I said last week, there's nothing wrong with a feeling. But well, how do we experience happiness? We experience happiness from good happenings, from good circumstances. That when life goes our way, when the results are the way we want the results to be, there's happiness. There's good happenings around us. But you know and I know that happiness is fickle, right? It can go away just as quickly as we experience it. But yet, it's what we want. We want to be happy, happy, happy. What's the old song? Don't worry, be happy. This is what we want. Happiness is based on circumstances. 
just consider a, a little infant, a little baby. A baby wants to be happy. A, a, a baby has a wet diaper, what does baby do? Cries. Baby's hungry, what does baby do? Cry. Baby is, is alone, what does baby do? Cry. And what do we do? We change the circumstances. We change the diaper, don't we? We feed our babies. We, we give attention to our babies. Happiness requires good happenings, happy circumstances, and happiness is fickle. And guess what? Happiness is the counterfeit to the supernatural characteristic that God wants to cultivate, that of joy. Happiness is the counterfeit of joy. And our adversary wants us to think that when we're happy, then we are now revealing the joy of the Lord. And this is what the world gets confused with. Nothing wrong with happiness, but we get it confused with the supernatural characteristic that God wants to grow in us, which is joy. So what is joy? Joy looks like happiness, but it's radically different. You see, the Bible describes joy as this inner predisposition towards gladness. This inner predisposition towards hope. And that it's rooted in the character of God, regardless of the circumstances. It's a lot like love. Love is, 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 is based upon condition. Worldly love, but not godly love. And, and joy is, regardless of the circumstances... That joy can express itself in our lives. In other words, joy sticks around. It doesn't get chased off by trouble. Joy is found all throughout the Bible. We open up from Genesis and we go all the way to maps, all the way through the whole Bible. We read of joy in the Old Testament. We read of joy in the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is kara. And you know what that means? It means that this inward joy that is outwardly expressed. So if happiness comes from happy or good happenings that surround us, where does joy come from? What is the garden that joy comes from? This perpetual gladness of the heart. That comes from knowing and experiencing and trusting in Jesus. What, what is it that we experience as a wilderness that maybe we're not happy being in? And God says, you know what? That's a garden. And I can grow joy. I mean, we know happiness, don't we? We know the bluebird of happiness. We know the things in life that make us happy. But we also realize that sometimes those things are just out of reach. The writer in the Old Testament to Ecclesiastes writes about chasing happiness. And he says, you know, everything in life is meaningless. There's nothing under the sun that can give meaning to life. Everything ends in death. There's frustration, there's adversity that are unavoidable. Everything is meaningless. Relationships, money, jobs, prestige. And the writer says, I've, 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 I've pursued all this stuff. I've studied this, and it doesn't work. And he sums it up like this, saying that life, chasing happiness, is like chasing 
the wind. It's futile. It's elusive. Happiness. When we really want joy. And he writes in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 26. That man who pleases God. Listen to this. The man who pleases God. gives God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. The man who pleases God. Joy is given by God. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is the supernatural fruit of the Spirit. This isn't a deed of the flesh. It's given to those who please God. Three things I want us to consider when we think about the supernatural characteristic of joy. That it takes God's pleasure to have joy. That it takes faith to please God. And, and it takes trials to perfect faith. Well, where's that come from? Hebrews eleven six. The writer to the Hebrews says, without faith, guess what? It's impossible to please God. It doesn't say without faith it's hard to please God, that without faith you've got to try hard to please God. He says it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to, free, to please God. And as we heard today in Ecclesiastes, the one who receives joy is given to the one who pleases God. So it takes God's pleasure to have joy. And it takes faith to please God. And then the third thing, it takes trials to perfect faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. These trials have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. So let's put all these three together as we consider joy. It takes God's pleasure to give joy. It takes faith to have God's pleasure. And it takes trials to perfect faith. We read in James, this is what James writes in James chapter 1 verse 2. He says this, consider it pure joy. Consider it all joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. And you say, well, how in the world can I count it and consider it pure joy when my life is falling apart? Do you realize that when we are going through difficult moments in life, we lose the capacity to walk by faith? In other words, we tend to walk by sight in life. We have this willingness to only engage and participate in what we see, what we know, what we can figure out. And when we can see and know and figure out, that's what we commit to. That's walking by sight. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. But yet, that's what we do. And when we walk by sight, we give ourselves away as being people who only want happiness. We only want what we can see to make us happy. Happiness is a fruit of life lived by walking by sight. It takes good happenings to be happy. And the moment that I see that, I'm happy. 
That's happiness. Walking by sight. That's not joy. What God wants to grow in us. It actually takes trials in life to remove the tendency to walk by sight. In other words, when we are in a difficult moment in life, when we can't see what's next, when life is hard, when we don't have good happenings, we're unhappy, when we can't put it all together, it's then that we're in the midst of this trial. When we can't walk by sight, we can't figure it out. You know what that is? That's a garden. And you know what that garden is? It's a garden of waiting. Waiting. How much longer, Lord, must I wait? It's in that place of waiting that we might see it like a wilderness. How much longer must I persevere? How much longer must I suffer? How much longer before my dreams come true? Whatever it might be. It's in that place, that garden, that God can grow the supernatural characteristic of joy. You see, the reality is, we know this, and none of us like to wait. We don't, wait, we don't want to wait on God. We don't want to wait on each other. And we don't want to wait on fast food, which is an oxymoron. But yet with God, he gives us his promise. This is part of the principle. And he speaks his word to us. And it's in the midst of a trial, it's in the midst of a difficulty that we have to wait for the fulfillment of the word that he's given us. And you know what he does in that moment, in that trial, in that difficulty? He removes all the props of life. Everything that we lean on, everything that we rely on, everything that we can try to make something happen. So that we can be happy. He removes that. And what happens so often with us when we find ourselves in that place, what do we do? We quit. We give up. Or we try to create something that we can see that can get us through this difficult moment to make us happy. To help out God. How many of you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? We heard Abraham, Abraham today, he was blessed to be a blessing to many nations. That through the seed of Abraham, that he was going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the world. But guess what? Abraham and his wife Sarah, who was barren, they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited and they never had a child. So you know what they did? They created, they, they took care of the problem. They waited no longer. They had a child. They had a child through Hagar. And the name of the child was Ishmael. And then later they finally had the fulfillment of the promise. The child Abraham who was born to, or, or Isaac who was born to Abraham and Sarah. But it was in God's timing with the fulfillment of the promise. But yet they got out in front of God. They created a solution. And we're still living with that today. This conflict between Ishmael and Isaac. It's today. The Lord speaks a word. And the way we respond to that word 
shapes our character and shapes our destiny. We are still living with the way that Abraham and Sarah responded to that word. You wait and you're going to have a child. We're still living with that today. But yet, God eventually fulfilled that in their life to where he is blessed to be a blessing. We do that, don't we, in life? We get out in front of the God, in front of God. We try to make things happen. We try to create something. We try to make good happenings. But it's in the garden of waiting that God wants us to trust him. And it's there that he cultivates the fruit of the spirit, the godly character of joy, this inner predisposition to gladness. Hope not based on circumstances, but based on the character of God and his promise and fulfillment that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. This is what the disciples experienced on the boat as they were fighting the wind and the waves. We don't read it, but I don't think they were very happy. But yet Jesus comes to them. And it's in the midst of that moment that they're glad that they're willing to take him in. And there, they're peaceful. There's joy. We see this in the life of Jesus, don't we? This joy. We, when we consider Jesus, Jesus, when we read in the Gospels, he didn't walk around moping all around, all around Galilee. Oh, woe is me. Or he was so unhappy with the circumstances. Or we didn't see Jesus on the other end of the spectrum, this Pollyanna Jesus. Oh, everything is happy, happy, happy. Ever been around somebody like that? Oh, everything's just great. No, we see in Jesus this inner predisposition towards gladness and hope. This capacity to trust his Father. And because of that, Jesus knew great joy. Do we tolerate happiness as a counterfeit to joy? Even in this season of waiting, how much longer, Lord? Every week we take home communion to Norman Quintero. Norman's married to Hosanna. And a year ago, Norman got diagnosed with what is commonly known as mad cow disease. There's no cure for mad cow disease. It's a terminal illness. And Norman has gone from being able to come and worship, come to the rail and kneel, to being in a hospice bed at his house. And every week we take home communion to him. The circumstance in life is like the writer to Ecclesiastes. You're going to die. Norman knows that. We know that. Hosanna knows that. But let me tell you about Norman. Whoever goes to serve Norman, there is this inner predisposition to gladness and hope Not based on circumstances, but based on the Lord. We see the joy of the Lord. Even though he can't speak and he tries to speak, 
making a joyful noise unto the Lord. We see the joy of the Lord as his strength, even though he's coming to an end of life as we know it. Do we tolerate happiness as your counterfeit for joy? Just consider Jesus. We read in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that Jesus, in the last day, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus knew the joy of the Lord. And it wasn't based on circumstances. It was this inner predisposition to gladness, regardless of the circumstances, that's found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Norman knows that joy. Do we? Or do we accept the counterfeit of happiness? Because that's what the world wants us to see. And when we go through a hard time, the world wants to say, oh, you're no different than me. But yet in the Lord, when we go through a hard time, there's even joy in that hard time. How can that be? It's the supernatural characteristic of joy. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds. Because it's in the testing of our faith that you develop perseverance, that you grow us, that you nurture us. Have your way in us, Lord. Even in a season of waiting, that's not a wilderness, but it's a garden that we might trust you and that joy might grow in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. That joy is a gift of the Lord who trusts in him. Not circumstantial, but a deep love and trust in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.